Our speaker today is Josh Wilson, our missionary to the Philippines and Pastor Chuck Wilson's son. Father, we just thank you for bringing Josh to the Philippines and bringing him back for a couple weeks here. And just pray that he would really be able to share with us how you're working in the Philippines and in our partnership with them and also in his life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess I should probably start with um, what happened when I first got to the Philippines. Now, I, I'm really bad about preparing for talking, but I did think about what I was going to say a lot because um, so many things have happened, and I keep getting asked questions like, you know, what do, what do you do there? Like, what, what have you been doing? And it's kind of hard to answer because there's only like two or three things that I consistently do, and then every day there's always something new that happens. And... The, I guess the best example of that would be when I first got there, about a week after I got there, there was a flash flood in one of the areas where we had a couple of church members. So we were like, okay, one of the ministries that the church runs is disaster relief, so I guess we're going. And I got there, and I had never seen a flash flood or even any type of flood that was so high that we were like walking through the water in some places, and it's like up to your neck, and we're like holding the furniture over our head, like carrying it through. And um, that wasn't so bad, but what was bad was when you went into the house, you know, um, there's a lot of bugs in the area, and they don't like water as much as we don't, so they hang out on the ceiling and the walls, and they swim uh, around. And sometimes if you get bumped by something in the water, you know, you, you sometimes just don't want to know what it was. That's one of the things I kind of learned while I was there, is don't be too observant, don't look around too much, and... Um, I guess when you're talking about the Philippines, I guess one of the first things you should talk about is um, the food, because they love food. Everything revolves around food. If you go anywhere, if you have any meeting, you eat food. And there's a running joke there that all the pastors are fat because um, they have so many meetings. And there might be something to it, because they eat a lot of food, and they, I don't know, everything, everything's food. And the first food that you'll notice is rice. Everyone eats rice all the time. And I have a picture on my phone of what I mean by that. And they have this stack of bags of rice in the, in the house that we stay in. And I think total, because we carried it all in. I'm trying to think how many pounds it was. It was at least like 400 pounds of rice. So I have this picture of this little kid, one of the guys at the crib, sitting on this bag or this mound of, of rice. And, and all of the, the specialty di- like dishes, so if they ever say like, um, if they ever say this is like a delicacy, this is a delicacy here. If they ever say that, it just means it's made of rice, but it's cooked different. So that's kind of how, how it works. And sometimes the, the meal is all rice. Everything is made out of rice in the meal. Like there's no meat, there's no anything, it's just rice. That's hard for me because I like to eat a lot of meat. And um, sometimes you eat pasta, which is made out of rice. Um, and then sometimes you eat these little, uh, I don't even know what they're called. They have names for everything. But they're all delicacies, and they're all rice. And sometimes I have to go out of my way to find myself some more food, so I started buying jars of peanut butter, and I eat that. And I'm sure you guys have seen, because I heard stories, that uh, he plays videos of the videos that I was sending back. I didn't know he was playing them, by the way. In church, I thought those were just family confidential videos. But... I was wrong about that, so I, I know you guys, but it doesn't look like food. It looks like, um, 
I don't know what it looks like. It looks like a bone. It looks like that's the part of the chicken you throw in the uh, in the trash. But uh, nope, not for them. <laughs> they eat it. And they call them Adidas, like the shoes, Adidas. So that's like their joke, you know. It's Adidas. That's exotic food. You got lucky. You got lucky. It's like, nope. And I'd say, like, the majority of the food that they eat is just, like, normal food, like chicken and, and pork and fish, lots of fish. So... You know how, like, in America, lobster, crab, um, shark, like, all these exotic seafoods are, like, really coveted. Everyone's, like, going out spending all this money on it. But there, it's, like, it's just every, every day you're eating something, like, that you would be considered fancy in America. But the funniest thing that I thought was what they actually find to be fancy food there was um, spam. Spam was, is... Is a really big deal there. And I, when they, I, I walked in and they had like this, this little cupboard there and, and I was like looking at it and they're like, oh, that's where we keep like the food for the guests and stuff. And I was like, oh, really? And then he opens it up and it's like 10 cans of spam. And I was just like, and I'm like, I'm just thinking like, spam? You guys eat this, you eat the lobster every day, this amazing, these great crabs. Like, these, these are crabs that you can only find in the deep seas of the Philippines, too. So, like, you can't get these things. They probably cost like $100 a crab in America, but they eat them all the time and they love them. But they don't love them as much as spam. So, I'm like, oh, yeah, spaghetti. Oh, my goodness. So, spaghetti is, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the, everyone eats spaghetti there. And it's like, you get it at fast food restaurants, spaghetti. And when, when they told me that you can get spaghetti at like, Jollibee is like the McDonald's of there. Even though there is McDonald's, nobody goes to McDonald's because they like Jollibee. They like spaghetti. That's their fast food. Everyone eats it. And I, I'm not like a spaghetti fan, but I eat spaghetti for them because they like it when I eat spaghetti. And that's kind of how, how you kind of have to be there. Um, it almost feels like what's the line Paul has in, uh, in I think it's in Corinthians, where he's like, wherever I go, I become that person. Like, uh, for, for the Jews, I'm a Jew. For the Gentiles, I'm a Gentile, whatever. Uh, yeah, and, and for me, it's like when I'm in the Philippines, I have to be a Filipino. So I have to do what they do. And that's really hard for me because they do a lot of things that I hate doing, like dancing and singing. They all love dancing and singing. Everywhere you go, we'll be, we'll be on like a 15-hour car ride over the mountain, bumpy, terrible, everything. I have a headache, and they're all singing and dancing in the car. And I'm just like, I need to die right now. Like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And they don't have ibuprofen either, so I'm like, ugh. The other group that we evangelize to is the Sama, and I love the Sama because they're crazy. Um, they're like as primitive as a people as you can get. And it's, they all live on the ocean, um, on these piers, so they live over the ocean. And if you like fell off, you're, you're in the ocean, basically. So you're up maybe like 20 feet off the ground, um, and then there's the water below. Anyway, um, to get into the church, you actually have to walk through like three bamboo sticks. Um, it's a pretty far walk, and you better balance right, because if you fall in, it's, I don't think anyone's going to get you. Um, yeah, so the, the Sama people, they, they live, like, as basic and simple of a, as a life as you can. They're all fishermen. All of them do fishing, and they, um, they do spear fishing. So they swim down really deep, and they spear their fish. But the amazing thing about them is they can hold their breath for, like, 11 minutes. And I have never, ever in my life heard of anyone that could do this. And they can all do it. It's like they're, like the, the lowest amount of time I ever heard someone say they could hold their breath was six minutes. So it's like that's amateur hour, six minutes. I can't even hold my breath for like two minutes. So I was like, 
well, how do they do it and all this stuff. And they were like, oh, we were just born like this. Like, we all do it, and it's just normal. And they use that to their advantage, and they can dive down really deep, like 30 meters deep without any gear. What they do is they, they stand on the dock, and they hold a rock, and they jump in, and they hold it until they go to the bottom. And then they have their spear gun, they spear a fish, and they come right back up. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever tried going down 30 meters in the water, but the water pressure would kill most people, at least for me. I, I like you'd usually get to this point in, in diving. If you go down super deep, you actually just faint and you black out if you go down that deep. They can all do it. They all go down, and and it's crazy to see what they look like when they're down there because the water pressure is so strong that it like pushes their their stomach cavity in and everything, and and it's just unbelievable. They, they look like a skeleton underwater when they're that deep. And um, I tried going down that deep just. I wanted to see if I could do it. I got 15 meters down, and I had to come back up because I thought my my ears were going to get pressed into my skull. Like, the water pressure was so crazy. So they're superhumans. That's basically what I'm saying. They're superhumans. And we brought them in for the Thanksgiving celebration, and we set them all up. We gave them the church to sleep in. Some of them were sleeping up in the gym and all that stuff. Um, and we gave them, like, bedding and stuff like that. And, you know, we leave. We go back to the Timothy's crib to sleep. We come back the next day. None of them are sleeping inside. They're all sleeping outside. And all the bedding that we gave them, they ripped apart. So, and this is what they said. They're like, oh, yeah. Cause, so where do they sleep? They don't have any, like, walls. It's just like a, you know, a ceiling. So when we put them inside the church, they were like, it was like sleeping in a coffin. It was like we couldn't sleep. It was like we were underground and we couldn't do it. And, and then the bedding situation, we gave them all this nice bedding. They tore all the cushioning out, and they just slept on the mat. And they're like, yeah, we couldn't sleep on the cushioning. It felt like sl- sleeping on the water. And we were just like, oh, my gosh. So they're hilarious. I love them. And uh, the, the last thing was we, we gave them dinner and stuff, and we got them, like, a nice, you know, a nice long table full of food. And what they did is they came in, they grabbed the plates, you know, they, they filled them up, and instead of sitting down, they took it, they walked away, Sat down on the floor, <laughs> and we were like, "Okay, that's. I mean, they do it. Do it makes you comfortable, but that's what they did. They they didn't want to sit at the table. They preferred to sit on the floor, and you know, do what you got to do. A lot of them have never eaten with a fork in their life. Like uh, I remember, we took one of the youth out to one of the trips, and we were like sitting at this dinner, and he was like looking at the fork and the knife, and he's like, "I've never used one of these before in my life," and he's like 18 years old. So it's like it's just a totally different life out there for them, and it's just. I, I respect them so much. I actually, when I go back, I want to spend like two weeks with them and just live like they do for a little while and see what it's like. But yeah, that's the Sama people. They're very, uh, they're interesting. So I think that's about it about the Philippines. I guess I could talk like a little bit about the gym. We got the gym set up. They're, the youth love it. Um, we have a bunch of people from the Taosu tribe come in. Um, that's like where most of them come from. The Taosu will come in and they uh, they work out with us. Like I said, they're really rough people. So like. A big thing in their culture is respect. So it's kind of, um, it's weird being me and trying to like earn their respect, but I guess it, it's a little different for me because I'm an American, so they kind of just like respect you automatically. But it's like, um, it's weird. They do like the, these weird handshakes, and like it's important for you to know the handshakes because if you don't know them, then it could be very disrespectful. So what they do, usually, uh, the youth do, is they, they'll grab your hand like this then you slide your thumb across their thumb. And then if you respect the person, you do this. And if you don't do this, then it means you don't respect them. So that's not good. And if you really respect them, you do the little handshake, and then you go, 
And, and if, you do, if you do that, that means like, they really like you. So when they started doing that, I was like, yeah, okay. And they like me. So, um, <laughs> but, so it, and if, if I shake their hand and I don't like reciprocate it, then it's like insulting to them. And it's, uh, it's kind of a big deal. And, and um, I, should, I should tell the story about learning the language for a second. So, Tao, so I'm learning from people, and there's like five or six different languages that are spoken primarily there. And all of the guys at the crib can speak at least three or four, maybe all of them. And sometimes they get the words mixed up from the different languages. So I, I was asking someone, like, uh, can you lift this in their language, which is like uh, manjiriku, um, buhatun, um, ini. Uh, that's what it would be. And... I didn't realize Buhatun was actually uh, Basaya, which is another language there. So when I said it to the kid, he kind of was like, well, what did you just say to me? Like, he understood. It's like, can you something this? And I didn't know, like, what I said, but I said uh, Basayan word. And that, like, happens pretty often. So, like, I'll learn something and I'll practice it for a really long time before I realize I learned the wrong thing. And then I have to unlearn it. And now it's forever in my head stuck as the wrong word. So it's, like, really hard. But anyway... I guess that's kind of like uh, enough about the Philippines. Like, like I said, we do something different every day. So it's really hard for me to describe what we do all the time. Um, sometimes we have like, like we just travel a lot. We do a lot of things. We've been all over the place. Um, every time Pastor Mark goes somewhere, he brings someone with him. And it's usually like either me and some of the other youth. And then someone will have to stay back and watch the crib. And um, yeah, I guess it's just like a very different place. Like usually when we're gone, like... Someone might break into the crib, so I keep all my stuff in the house. So, because there's no windows or like the door, you can just push it open. There's no lock, and the windows, like you may as well just give up on that because you can just climb right in. So, it's just like there's so many different things that you have to get used to and just kind of accept. You have to accept that there's like there's just danger kind of everywhere, and that you just kind of have to accept things. And and when I was thinking about that, I was thinking like you got to have faith here. <laughs> you, just, you have to have faith because if you don't have faith, then, like, what do you, what do you have? And I, I'm going to get more on that later after I, like, tell some, some stories that I've been told I need to tell again. Uh, and I'm not looking forward to that, but I've been told I need to tell stories again. But I'll get more on the faith part later because you, you'd, be, you'd be shocked at, at some of these guys' stories. Like, so, like, I guess I, I don't want to tell these. I don't want to tell these stories. Come on. Oh, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to tell them. I'm going to warn you guys ahead of time. I'm not going to make it, okay? I'm not going to make it through these stories without breaking down, okay? Just not. I'm just not going to make it. Oh, I'm already getting ready. Because, like... This is weird. I'll tell you this before I start, just so you understand a little bit. I never, ever cry in my life, ever, until recently. And um, it's because... Stupid. You did this to me. You did this. I am your son. I am your son. This, I'm telling you right, guy, like, right now, like, when, when, you, when you start feeling the, the spirit move in your life and see it around you, it moves you, and you can't help it. You can't help it. That's what I used to think my dad was such a loser for crying up here. I was like, what a loser, like wussy, whatever. And then like you start to feel it. And I'm telling you, it's brutal. It's terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. I hate it. I hate it so much. All right. So just a heads up. I'm not going to make it through this. I might break down like three times. We'll see. So 
<laughs> There's a lot of stories. That's the problem. All right. So we'll start. We'll start from the beginning. We'll start from the beginning. The, when I when when I was younger, like I I know everyone remembers Robert. Okay. This was like the first time in my life that I had like a problem, like where I had a struggle that I had to deal with, and that was when Robert got cancer, and he was in the youth group. We all knew him. We all hung. I didn't even start yet. I know, I know, I know. I got to talk slower. Control myself a little bit. All right, so, yeah, we all know Robert. He got cancer, and, and towards the end, um, Joe remembers. We were all there praying um, for him. And I felt God tell me he was going to be okay. And I... Why is this so stupid? I know, I can't know. My voice is not working. So I felt God tell me he was going to be okay. And, and when, I, when I felt that, I thought that meant he was going to be okay, you know? But it didn't, um, at least by my definition. But, like, as I've grown older, I realized that was God's okay. And that was, like, the first time I, like, I hated God. I hated him. I wanted, I wanted to make sure God knew that I hated him. So I went and I did a whole bunch of terrible things. You can ask my dad. I had so many arguments with my dad about this. I wanted to prove he wasn't real. I wanted to prove he was evil. And my life just fell apart for This is, this is really hard because I, I never tell anyone this stuff. And I never have until recently because I never wanted anyone to know how hard it was. I used to argue with my dad all the time. I'd be like, God, God is evil. There's no way he's not evil. There's no way he's real. And I couldn't prove he wasn't real. And then I couldn't prove he was evil. I wanted him to be evil. I really wanted him to be evil. And what I, I decided, I was like, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I started taking drugs. I started drinking. I literally just, I did everything that I knew I shouldn't do. And, and I got really bad in drugs. And I'm sure nobody knows, but I, I remember talking to Matt Hoffman. And he was like, he's saying how like people, people don't talk when their kids are doing bad and stuff like that. They only talk about the good stuff. And, and, I, and I knew that, but my parents didn't even know about this stuff. They didn't even know I was doing all this. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anyone. Only my friends at school knew. And, and they were all doing the same thing, so who was going to do anything about it? So I would literally, like, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember one time during college, I, I got so bad in the drugs, I lost 20 pounds in two weeks. Two weeks. Because I was taking drugs and I was not sleeping, ever. I didn't sleep. I would take drugs to stay awake because I hated going to bed at night. I hated sleeping. I hated everything about it. Because that's when I felt like I would feel horrible just laying in bed thinking about my life. I hated it. So I would take these drugs to stay awake. And, and I remember that destroyed my body. I remember walking in the gym one day and one of my friends, he saw me. He's like, dude, are you okay? Like, what happened? I, lo- I lost 20 pounds. I, looked, I felt like I was dying, and I was dying. 
And he was like, dude, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine. And he's like, dude, no, like, are you really okay? And I was like, yeah, I am, but I'm not at all. I didn't say it to him. I, I realized in my head, I'm not okay, and I have to do something. And like I said, I was really angry at God, and I could never get that settled in my mind all throughout my life, like ever since Robert died, and then all this other stuff happened that I don't want to go into, but then I, my life just started getting like ruined over time from these drugs and abusing everything and stuff. And then like one night, there's this spot that I used to go up to on the mountain. It was a ledge that I would stand on, and I would think about jumping all the time. I would go up there at night when I wouldn't sleep at like 3 in the morning. I would go up there and I would just stand there and that's where I would argue with God. I would be like, I hate you. I hate everything about you. Why are you doing this to me? Why did you even make me? Why did you bother? I hate everything. But I knew that I was, I was, I was still his. If he was there, I was his because when I was younger, I gave my life to him. So I knew that I couldn't do it. I wasn't allowed to. If I was going to die, he was going to do it. He was going to kill me. And one night, I remember, this was the worst time of my life. I remember it so well. I remember I, would, I, drank, I drank a whole lot, and I took a whole lot of pills. And I remember walking up this mountain at night, and I'm, like, hallucinating because I hadn't slept in four days. And I get up there, I'm standing on the ledge, and I'm watching this storm roll over the mountains coming towards me. And I'm standing there, and I'm cursing at God. I'm like, why? Why is all of this happening? Why am I so miserable? Can you kill me? Kill me. I remember cursing God. Kill me. Strike me with lightning. Push me off this mountain. Kill me. I don't want this anymore. And that's when... That's when God... I felt God. God told me I'm not allowed to die. I'm his, and I'm not allowed to die. He has more for me to do. He told me I have more for you to do. And I remember sitting there on the mountain, and the the storm is all around me, and I'm just standing there, crying on the top of my belly. And I just, I knew I had to stop whatever I was doing. I had to stop, because I was not going to be okay. I was literally dying. I was dying slowly. And this is why I never told my family about this, obviously, because they'd be just devastated by it. Ryan was going through all that stuff at the time. I couldn't do that to my family, too. And and that night, I decided I I wasn't going to touch drugs ever again. I I couldn't keep taking all those pills. It was ruining me. I was dying. And I, I just remember that night, I decided that I was done with that. And I wish, I wish I could say that was the end of my, my, my abuse of, of substances because it absolutely was not. But it was, it was the first time I had heard from God in a long time. And it, it was something that I, I, I craved and I missed because I, I needed to change. I needed God. I needed him. And after that, I still like, I, I kind of still ignored God, but I knew he was there, and I knew that he was still watching me, and he still cared about me. And then after that, then that was like the same summer that Ryan ended up 
dying. And then I got angry again, but I, it wasn't the same kind of anger. It was like, it wasn't the same when Robert died. It was more of like an anger of like, why, why are we even doing anything? And then I started like wondering, it's like, what, what is my faith? Like, I don't even have faith. I don't have all of these things that, like, you read in the Bible all the time. It's like all of these different miraculous things happen and faith and, and God moving on this earth. And I just never saw it in, in America. I never saw it. I, maybe I wasn't looking hard enough, but I, I couldn't find it. And I don't know. And I just thought that maybe everything was just like a big, either everyone was fake or, or God was fake. That was like my mindset. Like God isn't either telling the truth in the Bible or we're not doing what's right. And that, I, took, I wrestled with that idea for so long because I didn't understand what faith was yet. And then, like I said, Ryan died, and then I, I watched my family go through all of that. And then I started thanking God because I was like, at least, at least I'm not going to do that. And then, then this is the, I don't want to tell the other one. I'm already struggling through this, and I have to tell that story again. I already told it once. So... I was working, uh, I was doing like, uh, working a job and all this stuff, and I was just like kind of coasting through life. I was ignoring God. I was super depressed. I was still feeling horrible about life, even though I wasn't still abusing things. Now, now instead of hiding my depression, I had to deal with it, and I was dealing with it in not great ways. And, and then I had to struggle through basically like working this job that I knew wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, and God was convicting me about it. And then we went on that trip to the Philippines, and... That was like out of nowhere we just went. And then, like I said, when we got there, I saw what I thought faith was supposed to look like. And that's when I started thinking, I'm like, man, maybe that's what I'm called to do. Maybe that's it. But I just kept ignoring it. I kept putting it in the back of my head. Like, that's what I wanted to see. And I couldn't find it here. And I was like, I need to go figure out what they're doing. And by the way, it's not like that everywhere in the Philippines. It's literally only the church that we're at. Because I've been to the other churches in the Philippines and some are real bad. So it's just, we're the only ones who evangelize there. We're the only ones, especially the Muslims. We're literally the only church who evangelizes them there. And because everyone's scared. But that's, that's when I saw what faith was supposed to look like. And then when we were there, we, we, I saw all that great stuff. And then I came back. And then it was like, you know how you have like that nice thought in the back of your head? You're like, yeah, that would be really nice. If I went back at some point, like you get that feeling after like a mission trip, you're like, that was really nice. I'm so inspired. I feel good. I felt like that, but it was always in the back of my mind. I kind of just ignored it. I was like, yeah, that was, that was a nice thought. It's a nice thought to have that maybe one day I'll go back. But then I came back from that trip, and then over the summer, my buddy had a wedding down in Virginia. We were down there having a great time. You know, it was his bachelor party, everything. We were all having a great, great time. Then one day, we were coming off the lake. We were driving back, and... um the car in front of us swerved in the other lane and like it meant to do it almost and just crashed head on with this other car. <clears throat> we were right behind it. We were the only ones. It was a back road. We were like, we were literally just looking like, so I'm still in my bathing suit, no, no sh- shoes, no shirt, anything. We're just like on the way back from the lake. It just had like one of the greatest days ever with all the guys having a great time. And then this happens. And we were just like, what did, did that literally just happen in front of us? And so 
Obviously, we get out, we got my buddy on the phone with the police, and, and I'm over there trying to pry this front door open because I, I can just see the driver through the window. She's screaming and yelling and stuff, and I'm like, I have to get this door open, but the door's crushed, everything's crushed. So I'm literally yanking on this door, and eventually I rip it, and when I, when I pull it off, the whole door fell off, and I was like, what just happened? And, and I open the door, and she's in there crying, and she's yelling and watching her, like seeing her and everything that comes with an accident. It was not fun. And I was not, at, I could not process it well. And then, and then she yells, get my kids, get my kids, check my kids. And I was like, oh, no. So I go to the back door and I pry that one open too. Just as smashed. And, um, like, she's still freaking out. She's yelling, and my friend is yelling at me. He's like, what's going on? Like, what, what do I tell the police on the phone and all this stuff? And, I, and the door opens, and, and I'm just looking at what I saw, and I'm just like, this. Oh, why do you make me do this? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. And it just, it was so overwhelming. Everything was so overwhelming. We're just, I saw everything, and, it, and I was—I had to be the one to pull them out and everything. And just what I didn't. Then, thankfully, miraculously, a nurse is on the other side of the road, and she runs over to us, and she's like, "Oh, we can—I can handle. It. I'm a nurse." We're like, "What are the odds of that?" We're on the back road in the middle of Virginia, and some random nurse drives up—the only other car on the entire road for the next 20 minutes. They didn't. No. And it was just, it was something else. And I saw, I saw what I never wanted to see. And I, I care so much about kids. It's always been like a big thing for me. And seeing kids like that, I was devastated. I could not handle it. Then I started thinking, I'm like, well, there's people out here dying every day. And what, what's, what's everyone doing about it, you know? Like, that should be our top priority as, as Christians is like getting the word out of God to everyone because you never know what's going to happen. And that's, that's, that was when I decided I had to go back. I had to go back to the Philippines. I had to figure out what they were doing. I had to figure out what their faith was, how to, how to bring that back, bring that fire that they have because they have a fire. And the, everything that they do is just, you can just tell the spirit is everywhere with them. Everywhere we go, we just have so much power. I feel invincible when I'm there. People are always like, oh, it's so dangerous there. Well, I don't feel any danger at all. I really don't. Because when I'm there, I feel like God has us covered no matter what. And it just feels so good. It feels so powerful to be there and with everyone. It's just, it's something else. So yeah, so Mark contacted me and said, Josh has shared this powerful story. Make sure he shares it when he comes back. So so it's really Mark's fault for you sharing this. 
We're just going to, uh, he has a song to play on the video. Is that good? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, well, is is his favorite song that really hit you, and we'll just play that. And if anybody wants to come up and talk and pray or share some stuff after, come on up, and Josh will be hanging out up here, and I'll be hanging out. If somebody wants something you're wrestling with, don't stuff it, don't hide it. We can pray and talk, and okay.
we just thank you for the way you spoke to us today. I know we're all broken. I pray that we would feel the freedom to open up and to share that brokenness and get our healing. I pray for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.